Uh, we're going to go to the book of Acts chapter 14. I hope y'all are ready tonight to respond to what God wants to do. I don't, I don't really know fully how to explain to you what I'm saying tonight, but I don't just feel like this is going to be a take a text, hit three high points, dance a little bit and go home. I feel like God's going to try to help us in this place. Uh, if somebody is, is going to physical therapy and they're doing reps and they're trying to get strength and in six months they're not progressing, then there's something that's deeper than what you can see. When someone gets filled with the Holy Ghost and in six months they're not stronger than they were. When they came to the Lord, there's something that we're not seeing. I, I'm going to sound like a broken record for a minute. God did not just save you so that you could be free from sin. I don't want you to misconstrue this or, or misunderstand what I'm saying to you. But I know good people that don't have the Holy Ghost that for the most part, they live a sinless life. I'm, none of us are spotless. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying... Good people. Somebody say that with me. Good people. They live a good life. But God didn't just fill me with the Holy Ghost for me to live a good life. He filled me with the Holy Ghost because He wants me to walk in the power of the Spirit. Amen. Acts the 14th chapter, it came to pass in Iconium. that They went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. Somebody say the people are stirred up. Now, verse 6 said they were, they were aware of it. They fled to Lystra and to Derbe, cities of Laconia. Unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Sir, I'm sorry that your life has treated you this way. I'm sorry that you've been through what you've been through. Sorry, that must have been the NIV. I don't. He said with a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And when he said, Stand up on your feet, the man leaped. And walk. Now I'm not trying to read anything into this. But he didn't command him to leap. And he didn't command him to walk. He said get up. But there's something about it. When the Holy Ghost helps you get up. Woo. You're not just getting up. So you can stand up. The Bible said that when he jumped up. He leaped and he took off walking. This is a walk of faith. 
I thank God for people that stand. But we got to be on the move. If you believe that, say amen. amen. So when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And I wish I had time to teach you about the background of that. They called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Now, I want to, for the sake of time, fast forward just a little bit. And the scripture said that they refused to quit preaching. They didn't like what was going on. They wanted them to be labeled as, uh, as Jupiter and Mercury and, and gods outside of the world. I wish we had time to really dig into that. But they wanted them to be part of the, the world system. And when they denied that their religious system had anything to do with the power of God, we think we're the first generation to see what we're seeing right now. When Paul said, this has nothing to do with your religious system. This has everything to do with the power of God. The scripture said that they took him and they stoned him, uh, 19. Uh, There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city supposing that he had been dead. I know you're still standing, but I got to get this whole story to you. As the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and he came into the city and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Now, I want you to notice what's going on here. God is stirring up the city. The ungodly are seeing the power of God. The religious systems are frustrated Because their system is failing. And when the power of God is revealed, they start trying to kill the mailman. And the Bible said that they stoned him and they thought that they had finished the job. But I love, I absolutely love verse 20. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up. It's time for the apostolics to rise up. I want to preach to you tonight. You can't kill the church. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Now, there is some stuff that if we had time to go into tonight, we could spend about six weeks of Wednesday nights just talking about how all of this worked together. And when they saw what they had done, they immediately said, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. Now, this is how crazy that world system was and how crazy it is. The Jews were stirred up. They got the Gentiles stirred up. And then the people 
uh, of Lyconia, they, 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 were, they were stirred up. And all of the world systems were being stirred. Now the reason why they crucified Jesus is because they believed, and they said it specifically, I'm, I'm in fast forward mode, but they said specifically that he being a man has made himself God when he forgave sin. Everybody in here has read that, right? So I'm I'm not running off and leaving you. They said, he thinks he's God. This man is making himself God because he's forgiven sin. Now where they missed it is that Jesus was not a man that was making himself God. He was God that had made himself a man. That's how he forgave sin. He was not trying to fulfill a role that he didn't have the right to fulfill. He was not a man trying to do the job of God. He was God fixing the problems that man had created. If you believe that, say man. And I'm thankful to know tonight that God didn't send a substitute. That God didn't find somebody else. Woo! I preach it to you like my granddad used to preach it. God didn't send Jehovah Junior to do the job. But he robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. As of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. And God fixed the man problem. The world system, however, hates the God system. If I could just say it like that. Jesus said that you're going to be hated of men. I know this is slow for a Sunday night. He said, you're going to be hated of men, but I want you to know. Before he left them and ascended into heaven, he said, but I want you to know that before they hated you. Come on, somebody preach with me. He said, before they hated you, they hated me. Why did they hate him? Because he was a man... That had came in the form of God. What was it that they were trying to recognize with the apostles when Paul opens up his mouth and speaks. And a man is healed. Watch this. They said these are the gods that have come down in the likeness of man. The world system was a fake System of the real thing. Oh, man. I, I'm trying to get where I'm going here in a hurry. I don't want to miss, miss anything, right? It was an imitation of the real thing. And people don't mind involving the church as long as we will capitulate to their ideas. Woo! As long as we will settle with them for the imitation because the imitation doesn't cost as much as the real thing. But when they said to the apostle, they said, oh, we know you, you, you gotta be, you gotta be Mercury, you're Jupiter, but this guy, he's the one that did the talking. This right here, this, this is truly the God of Mercury. This is him right here and this this is what we have waited to see listen their world system said we are waiting for gods 
to descend into the earth and be like us. But when Paul started preaching that God had descended into the earth to be like us, it made him mad. Because the religious systems of this world have never loved the authentic. They've always pushed an imitation. Oh God, I feel like preaching up in here tonight. But I've come on Sunday night to tell the first Pentecostal church that there ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. You can play church. You can act like the gods have come down. You can get into mythology and whatever you want to get into. But I want to tell you about an almighty God that robed himself in flesh. And he... My, my, my. I'm trying to pace myself tonight because I, I, I want to take you somewhere. So... They called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Verse 13 said that the priest of Jupiter, the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Follow this system with me. The priest of Jupiter... Starts acting like the priests of the Old Testament. I want you to think about this. In the wilderness, God raises up a priesthood that can offer sacrifice for the people. And so the priest of Jupiter finally sees something supernatural going on. And you can kind of tell the way this works. I don't have time to stay here. But it wasn't the priest of Jupiter that said these are the gods that have come down. It was the people. You can tell when it's a carnal religious system because the people are leading the priesthood around, not the other way. We need some men of God in the 21st century that will stand in the... That will stand in the face... Of fake and false and phony. And will declare the real truth of the word of God. And refuse to back down. I've come to preach to you tonight. You are part of more than a social club. You are part of more than a community club. You are part of the most powerful movement in the earth. Whenever, Lord, I hope I can get through this. Whenever there is agreement with God's people and the world that begins to come into play, there are substitutes that began to be created. Oh, Lord, help me tonight. The Bible said that Solomon, Solomon had taking the time when he was building the temple to put everything overlaid in gold and it was so beautiful. I can't even imagine. I, honest to God, I can't imagine to walk into a room and there's gold on the floor and there's 
gold on the walls. And, you know, I mean, literally everything in the house was gold. Now, you can kind of get into that however you want to. I'm saying God still deserves my best. (laughs) He deserves the best that I can give. And so everything uh, everything that he had invested in the kingdom of God, it was the best that he could give. It was the best that they could put together. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get you somewhere right now. Every jewel that was in the house of God, if, if there was an eagle somewhere, and the eyeball of that eagle was a little red ruby, okay, let's just say there was a ruby in the eye. I'm not, I'm not preaching this for doctrine. I'm preaching this for a principle. Solomon could stand and look at that ruby and he could say to you that this is the price of that. This is what it would cost you if you had to buy that. But the generation before him, which was his father, David, that had stored up for the temple, he wasn't as interested in just the price. He could tell you the cost. Because Solomon's putting it together. But David crawled on his belly through the, God, through the dew wet grass in the middle of the night, crawled into the tent of the enemy, slid his throat, had blood on his hands, reached in, grabbed all the jewels and said, I'm going to take what the enemy tried to take from us and I'm going to store that up for the kingdom of God. David had to purchase it with blood and Solomon just told somebody how to put it up. And if we're not careful, the further away we get from investment, we got generations that can tell us the price, but not a whole lot that can tell us the cost. Oh, my, my, my. Help us, Lord. Woo! And so... The scripture tells us that as, as time, time moves on that Solomon builds the temple and of course it was so beautiful and all of this was, oh my goodness, it was absolutely gorgeous when he had taken the 300 shields of, of beaten gold and it was such a beautiful thing. The Bible said that then the next generation, his name was Rehoboam. Okay, are y'all still with me? Am I boring you to death? So David wrestles, crawls on his belly, kills men. That's why the Lord said you can't build it. You got too much blood on your hands. Okay, I, man, I'm in fast forward mode right now. Solomon stacks it up, invests it, tell it. He puts the people together. Solomon got the crowd together and got it all invested. But then when Solomon dies. And he stops talking about the cost. The Bible said that Shishak, the king of Egypt, comes to Rehoboam and starts threatening. And says, we are going to destroy you and everything you've got if you don't let us in to have what we want. So watch. Rehoboam steps back and says, whatever you want. You just come get it. Come on. You, we don't want any trouble. Oh, Jesus. 
We have come too far to be too passive. I, I, I want the devil to know tonight. I'm not standing up saying I don't want any trouble. Like, I'm about to be his worst nightmare. Everything the devil tries, God makes it fail. I'm digging. So Rehoboam says, okay, 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 okay. Listen, listen. Shashak. Man, you could preach this. Oh, dear God. You could, I'm telling you, you could preach this. Shashak was the king of Egypt. Rehoboam starts allowing Egypt. Represents the world. Where the children of, Egypt, uh, children of Israel came out of Egypt. I want you to watch the cycle. Oh, God, I want to preach this so bad. I want you to watch the cycle. God brings them out of Egypt over time. Gets them a king. Gets it built up. Several kings in now. They've got a temple. It's all good. And so now they're out of Egypt and they're in their homeland. And guess who comes to Jerusalem? Egypt. It says, since you guys got out, we're going to try to come in. You guys think you won the battle because you left Egypt. But you can never afford to take your guard down because Egypt wants to come in. And the Bible said that Shashak and his men walked up to the temple and they grabbed every one of those shields of gold and they loaded them up in a cart and they carried them out. And Rehoboam stood there and looked at his men. And instead of going after the golden shields, he told his men, he said, I want you to go down to the silversmith, to the blacksmith, to the goldsmith, and I want you to find all the brass that you can find, and we're going to build shields out of brass. Why would he build them out of brass? Because brass has the look of the real thing. He said, we're going to take the shields of brass and we're going to hang them where the shields of gold were so that when people drive by, they see the flash of it and think we still got it. But people can tell the difference when they put their hands on the shield. When they grab hold of that shield of brass, it don't weigh what the gold weighed. And when they get up close to see a reflection, it doesn't look like it did in the reflection of the gold. You can't make that brass pure like you can gold. But there is a spirit that's wanting the church of the 21st century to get rid of all the gold and just replace it with a substitute. Man, I hope I'm not losing y'all. We don't mind that we lost what my grandfather David invested in as long as everybody that walks by still thinks we have it. Oh, God. So this, this is the principle that we're seeing. From a distance... You would believe that that brass was gold. But the more close and intimate you get. When intimacy is introduced. 
And you don't just follow from a pew. But you start moving closer to the presence of God. At some point you're going to realize that those old fogies had something that we need to still talk about. This world says it's old fashioned. You don't need to worry about that anymore. God doesn't care about that anymore. I'm going to tell you what it is. It is shining brass, but it has no weight. You know what I wish some young people would do in this generation? I wish we'd get some young people that say, forget that brass. I'm going after the cart. I'm going to get the gold. I'm bringing it back to the house of God. And we're going to have revival. I wish somebody in here tonight would raise your voice in this generation and say, I'm not settling for a substitute. I want the real thing. You know what's sad to me is that in this generation, the compromises that we see happening are happening for the sake of growth. (laughs) And we act surprised when people from the world show up and they're disappointed. They get close enough and they're like, I heard all my life that those people, man, they they were worth their weight in gold. But when I got there, I realized all the focus now is on the coffee shop. Somebody told me they used to have miracles in that church. Somebody told me people used to get delivered in that church. But why would we get delivered when we can get coddled? (laughs) Man, I hope y'all love me when I'm done tonight. And so so we just we just get this this idea. Well you you know you know, you know that if we don't let Shashak in here then we're going to have to fight there's a novel idea we preach about victory all the time but we don't ever want to fight I've been preaching this and preaching this and preaching this and preaching this we talk about overcoming and sit at home and get overcame If you are going to be an overcomer, it's going to be because you overcome. You may not believe what I'm telling you right now, but I still believe that the sick can be healed. I still believe that the devil possessed can be set free. I still believe that blind eyes can be opened. I still believe the deaf ear can hear. And I believe God can do it right here in this church. 
So, so, <laughs> so the issue is, if we can, if we can make it look like we're still a revival church, we're okay as long as we don't have to fight for it. Church, I dug, I dug a little bit on, on Wednesday night and the Holy Ghost got to moving. We had to dig a little bit on Thursday night. In prayer meeting, the Holy Ghost was moving and working. But I, I'm, I'm just going to tell y'all that if we're going to be a revival church, we're going to be a fighting church, and we're not going to fight people. We're not going to fight our brothers. We're not going to fight other churches. I'm sorry to tell you this, but the Baptist is not my enemy. Maybe you were expecting something else. I've come to tell you that the Methodists and the Presbyterian, they are not my enemy. The Bible said I have one adversary. It's the devil and he is as a roaring lion roaming to and fro seeking whom he may devour. Can I preach to you right now? If we'll get the gold back up and hang the power back up... We won't have to fight the Baptists and we won't have to fight the Methodists. They'll say, that's the real thing. That's what I want. That's what I got to have. I want revival like that. You don't have to be on the boat if you don't want to. But I'm still declaring it into the atmosphere of this city that we are going to baptize in Entire churches in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sin. I used, to, I used to say that all the time. I'm gonna baptize pastors in Jesus' name, the whole churches. Somebody said, Oh, where are they gonna go to church? They're gonna go to their church. Well, but pastor, that doesn't grow us. That, that doesn't fill up our pews. Can I say this and just be brutally honest and y'all still love me? You know I won't see this church grow, but I don't care near as much about filling up seats as I do filling up heaven. When my apostolic brother is having revival, I'm having revival. (laughs) Oh! The system that wants to overtake the, 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 the true church is a system, a facade that looks like the power is still there. But I preached the other night. I'm trying to remember if it was here that I preached it about the glory. I want, I want to know what's happening behind the veil. Was that here? That's bad. I don't remember where I was preaching that. Man, maybe I need to preach it again. If you'll stand and open up your Bibles. I don't, I don't remember where I was preaching. 
I was, I was preaching about the idea of, of David having everything. Uh, they, were, they were, hadn't built the temple yet, but they, he was going to get the Ark of the Covenant. I think it was in Evansville that I preached it. He was going to get the Ark of the Covenant. And he was frustrated because they still had the tabernacle. And the, tab- the tabernacle that had rested at Shiloh, it still had every piece of furniture. And they were preparing later for the temple. They had, ev- they had everything they needed to get that temple. But they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. And David said, I'm not satisfied to just have a tabernacle with all the, the furniture laid out. Well, but, but pastor, we've got the altar of sacrifice. Yep, that's what people can see when they pass by and look inside the gate. And some of us are okay as long as when people walk by, they go, oh yeah, they, okay, they still got it. David said, I don't care what people are seeing if they walk past the gate. He said, what's eating me alive and keeping me from sleeping and eating, I I can't even exist, is the fact that when you walk into that tabernacle, you've got the plan of salvation, you've got all of the furniture, you've got the altar of sacrifice, you've got the lever of water, and when you walk into that holy place, you've got on the left, you've got the candle albert, you've got the menorah, the sevenfold moving and working the spirit of God, the word of God that's lighting the room in front of you. You've got the, uh, the altar of incense and to your right, you've got the table of shoe bread. Oh yeah, the priests are still happy because they get to eat the shoe bread and we've still got that beautiful incense. It smells good. But David said, I'm tired of having the furniture, but not having the glory. It ought to drive us insane when the waters of baptism are not being troubled and the sinners are not being set free and people are not being filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry, I don't just want to have good church. I want to know what's happening behind the veil. I struggle, I struggle when I see, can I just share my heart with y'all, is that okay, y'all love me, I struggle when I see the systems that we're trying to introduce into our movement, we went through in the 80's what they called seeker sensitive, remember that, like the church should have always been seeker sensitive, should have always been, if somebody's seeking we ought to be sensitive to it. But do you know what seeker-sensitive actually meant as a movement? Like, this is, this is what they were saying. Don't scare seekers. Like, you demonstrative churches that dance and shout and all that, don't do that when seekers are there. The guy don't live here anymore. He moved off, got married, and lived somewhere else, so he's not here. I can't embarrass him. But when he came to our church, he came out of a church that had, I almost said it. Brother Sean, will you, will you be my security tonight? He went to a church that had shields of brass. And the pastor called him in the office after church one Sunday morning and said, Hey, 
you are not going to be speaking in tongues in the prayer room no more. He said, Pastor, I'm sorry, what did I do? He said, I don't want you speaking in tongues during church. He said, Pastor, I'm sorry. I mean, I don't understand. What did, did I did I do something wrong? Was it? He said, it's out of order. When He said, you're going to scare our guests away. You're going to scare our guests away? You do realize it was tongues that got 3,000 interested. I had, a, I, I had a denominal preacher tell me one day that Tongues are of a devil. They, they do nothing but bring confusion. I said, that's funny. Because when they came out of the upper room talking in tongues, they said, we heard them in our language glorifying God. And they said, what do we got to do? I'm tired of the devil intimidating us and trying to make us believe that the world doesn't want what we've got. We are apostolic. I don't ever want to stop dancing. I don't ever want to stop shouting. I don't ever want to stop being a tongue talker. I don't ever want to stop being an aisle runner. Somebody should have chased after that cart. And if Rehoboam didn't have the guts to do it, I know I'm setting myself up right here. But if Rehoboam didn't have the guts to do it, then some young man should have said, well, all right, sir. If you're not going to run after it, it may not matter to you, but it matters to me. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying you young people have got to stop waiting on our elders. I pray to God I don't fail. I, honest to God, I pray to God all the time. I don't want to miss you, God. I don't want to fail. Amen. Amen. I want to be faithful to God. I want to be faithful to my wife. I want to be faithful to the church. I don't, I don't want to fail. Okay, you understand that. I love doctrine. I love gospel. I love, I love truth. I love it all. But I hope, I hope that if I ever did something stupid and quit preaching this truth, that there would be enough people that I've preached to and poured into in this church that would stand up and say, well, if it don't matter to pastor, it still matters to me. And my family will be saved. I'm not doing this to build my kingdom. I'm doing this because I want his kingdom to come. Y'all still with me? I'm almost through my introduction. Hang with me. Somebody should have went after the shields of gold. Somebody, Somebody should have chased it. I mean, dear God. At some point, it's going to have to start mattering to the young people. Young people, listen to me. I love y'all. I'm going to tell you something. When people start asking you questions about doctrine, your next statement should never be, let me ask my parents or let me go ask my pastor. If you don't know, I understand. If you're, if, if you're, I, I get it. 
You may have to help too, Brother Shaw. But it's a sad day to me when our kids can name the 11 starters of the Indianapolis Colts and cannot name the 12 apostles. I want all our young people, if you're in FPCYM or FPC3, I want you to stand. I'm going to preach to you guys for just a minute. It needs to start mattering to you. It need, Listen, I'm not waiting on the elders to die for you to fall in love with truth. Our elders need to know that if God takes them before the coming of the Lord, that the church is going on and it's in good hands. And that this is a one God, apostolic, tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-filled, holiness-loving generation. You are in love with truth. You're going to buy the truth and sell it not. Uh, You can be seated. We got it backwards when our young preachers are watching their favorite Instagram preacher to learn how to preach. God help me get this out of my spirit. I want you young men that desire to be preachers to realize one thing. There is a difference in just being a a preacher, a parson, and being an apostolic man of God. We are not a generation of downloaders. I don't need online sermon help. If I don't have something to preach, I need some carpet and a corner and some tears in the carpet and a few days away from the table until the Holy Ghost moves on me. Oh, God, I I feel something in me tonight. I'm I'm not just here to inspire. I'm here to activate something in you. If you want to be used of God, then let God use you. If you want to be used of God, then let God's hand be on your life. Amen. We don't want to learn from the best. We don't want to learn from the sharpest TV program. We... I want to move a God. I want power and authority and victory. All right. Uh, I feel something on me tonight. And when the men of God, when they, when they told them, they said in verse 14, that priest of Jupiter came out and started saying, well, let, let, let's offer sacrifice to them. I'll show you. And the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it. They rent their clothes. They didn't just correct them and say, no, our church doesn't do that. They said, God, no. We are not going to fall into this system. We're not going to become like everybody else. The Bible said that they rent their clothes and they took off running and they cried and they said, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of like passions with you. 
And we preach unto you. Watch this boldness. And we preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God that made heaven and earth and the sea and everything that's in it. Uh, So what are we going to do then if they hate us? Well, before they hated you. Hated me. They said, sir, this is a work that only God can do. They said, well, we don't like you. I'm not giving you the King James. You can read the story. I got to get where I'm going. So we don't like you. And we don't like you. We We wanted you to agree with our system. And since you won't agree with our system, then we're going to silence you once and for all. And we are going to stop this church because the devil believes if you can shut the mouthpiece, then you, you stop the church. They said that guy right there was the one that wouldn't shut his mouth. He, he was Mercury. He, he's the one that wouldn't be quiet. That's the one that did it right there. And the Bible said they drug him out. The spirits of darkness said, we don't want you in this city. So we're going to drag you out of the city. And when we get you out of the city, we're going to stone you. Blood. Eyes swollen shut. Fetal position. I don't know if you guys have ever seen how they stoned. They didn't throw number two rocks. They'd grab them kind of two or three men had to carry You can believe this however you want to. But they were good at stoning people. They didn't do it halfway. I believe. I I sincerely believe. That he probably had a fractured skull. Fractured face. Broken legs. I believe he probably did. The Bible said when they thought they were finished. And they thought he was dead. The enemy made a mistake. Because they didn't walk up and somebody check his pulse. Nobody stuck a mirror under his nose and said, here, let us try. They stood there for a second and said, we'll show you. I'm fixing to prophesy to somebody in here. Feel my help in here right now. What you've been through left you for dead. But the enemy made a mistake. He left a heart beating in you. And the Bible said that when they walked away and they went back into town, that the apostle that they thought they had killed. He rose up. Pastor, I don't know how I'm going to overcome what I've been through. You're going to have to get up. I don't know how God's going to undo it. He ain't going to undo it if you're laying there. The devil can't kill the church. He's been trying to kill you, but but he's not going to stop the church. (laughs) I'm broken. I'm bruised. God just let me die. But Paul, if you die... 
if you die, who's going to tell the story? I, I'm, pre- I'm telling you, God have mercy. I, I got something on me tonight. I can't get off of me. If you lay there and die in that, you're not going to have a testimony. But at the moment you feel that heart beating in you, this is one thing you know. God is not finished with me. I still got a heartbeat in me. That means there's somebody else that God wants me to preach to. There's somebody else that God wants me to reach. The devil wanted to kill you and he wanted to lay you down and but he can't kill the church and the church is alive in you somebody is going to get up here tonight but Paul rose up Paul rose up Paul rose up come on I don't know what your name is tonight but you ought to just say Mike rose up John rose up I wish you could feel what I feel right now. Mm. I'm about about finished, but the Bible said they drug him out of the city. Everybody said they took him out of the city. And they left him for dead. But when Paul rose up, in verse 20, I want you to see this. When Paul rose up, he didn't depart with Barnabas to Derby. Until he went back to the place that tried to kill him. He said, I'm not just going to dust my feet off and act like this didn't happen. Devil, everything you tried to do to me. I'm about to come back into the city and ordain elders and ordain preachers and have revival. Before I leave here, devil, you're going to know you picked a fight with the wrong man. Because I'm not fitting in with your system and I'm not relenting and I'm not dead. So I, so I'm going to keep preaching. You, you ain't ready. He went back into the city. He went to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel in that city, he taught many. And they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. I love this verse 22. This is a big bad word in the Bible. 
confirming. He said, devil, not only did you not kill me, but I'm going to confirm a few things with you and let you know. There are still souls that are continuing in the faith. And he said, we're going to have to go through some tribulation. But we're going to enter into the kingdom of God. I feel like preaching to this church tonight. If the devil could have killed us, it would have already been over. If the devil could have destroyed you, you would have already been destroyed. But it's time to go back. To the place that felt like you were defeated. And let the devil know. You did not win. You did not succeed. I am alive. And well. Pastor, I feel like I failed with my kids. Okay. Then go back to your kids where you felt like you were defeated. Man, I feel something in this place. I feel like I failed in my ministry. I didn't know why the Lord was speaking this to me this morning, but the Lord kept taking me, kept taking me to Lazarus this morning. I thought maybe I was going to preach on Lazarus tonight because the Lord kept taking me to Lazarus, and this is what he kept showing me. He took me to the scripture with Lazarus. He said, take me where you have laid him. Right? They said, if you would have been here, it wouldn't have. And the other, the other sister said, one day we believe it will. He said, take me where you laid him. And the Lord kept saying to me all day today, Gabe, he said, take me there. What? what? Take me there. I said, God, what are you saying? He said, take me there. To the place where you laid down. What you thought was dead. Take me to the place where you rolled the stone over that ministry. And said God can never use me again. Because I walked too far away. He said I want you to take me there to the place that when they open the door the smell Lord, we can't take you there. (laughs) Behold, he stinks. He said, take me to him and roll the stone away. And when he looked inside, everybody knew he was dead. But with just one voice, he spoke into the atmosphere of death. He said, Lazarus, (laughs) come forth. But if we don't take him to the place where we laid it down, it'll never come forth. I, I, I really want somebody to get and buy into what I'm telling you right now. The enemy left you for dead. And he left you believing that you were finished and it was done. Your kids are never going to walk through the doors of this church. Your spouse, it, it, it's, it's done. You are done. Take him there now. Right now in this altar call. We're going to take Jesus there. And we're going to say, Lord, I am beseeching heaven's throne. 
Speak life over my baby right now one more time. Pastor, how long, how, how long is it going? Because I, I, I feel like I failed. Listen, things didn't fall apart overnight and it may not be fixed tonight by the time you go to bed. But every day you need to remind God, I'm coming back to the tomb. And, I, and I'm releasing you in the name of Jesus, Lord. Speak life over my children. God, I feel an earthquake in somebody's mouth in here tonight. Somebody needs to speak some things in the Holy Ghost right now. I speak over my family. I speak over my children. I speak over my ministry. I speak over the things I've lost. You can't kill the church. 